Well, good morning, Four Corners. It's hot outside, but it is cool inside, so there's a lot to praise, right? Hey, we're so pumped that you're here. Uh, my name is Pastor Joseph, as Pastor Melissa said. I'm speaking today. Our past senior pastor, Ben, is on vacation with his family and his wife's family. I'm so thrilled that they get to do that. And um, I'm so glad to be inside where it's air-conditioned because yesterday, me and some of the team had the brightest idea I think we've ever had. We said that we were going to run this thing called a Spartan race on the hottest day of the year. So, it, you know, I mean, four miles is four miles. Mountains are mountains. Obstacles are obstacles, but 100 degrees? I thought I left that in Texas, but apparently it's here. I've already had complaints this morning saying to send the weather back where I came from, and I don't know how to do that. But hey, I'm uh, honestly, I am thrilled to get to serve on the team that we have. Um, by friends, uh, it was myself, it was Pastor Will, um, Derek, uh, Pastor Josh, and I just think that we have a phenomenal team that I love getting to serve with and do life with. Um, I, I think they do a lot of incredible things. Just a few weeks ago, if you weren't here, you've heard probably some about it. Pastor Josh led an absolutely phenomenal kids camp. The room that you're sitting in had over 100 kids dancing and shouting and learning about Jesus, and he's just killing it in there. Pastor Melissa, week in and week out, if you're new or if you get any communications, you know who Pastor Melissa is because she is on it. She has such a deep heart for connecting people and seeing people grow closer with Christ. Pastor Will does a great job up here, but I've literally traveled the world with him, and there isn't a place on the planet that he can't make a friend. I am telling you, he just has that personality, like you love being around him. Ilsa brings together, and Pastor Ben just does such a great job investing into us as a team. I love this church. I love the team. I think it's an honor to get to work with them, and I know that we don't get to do this a lot, and I know most of them aren't in the room because they're working right now, but could we take a moment and honor Pastor Ben and the rest of our team, Pastor Will, Pastor uh, Melissa, and Pastor Josh, and else? we take a moment and just honor them, thank them for the work that they do. So grateful for them. So we're going to continue our series called Summer Fruit. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking in Galatians chapter 5, and we've been looking at, um, at the teachings there of the fruit of the Spirit and how that applies to our life. So this morning I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, which is the uh, kind of the foundation that we've been building on week after week after week. And then we're going to jump into James chapter 5, and I'm going to read just a couple of verses there. It's in your sermon notes. It'll be on the screen as well. So Galatians chapter 5 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the characteristics, these are the traits of the fruits that when the Spirit indwells within us is produced in our life. And then this morning I'm going to read from James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. James speaking, he says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. Let me pray one more time. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the moments we have together this morning. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would do what only you can do in this room. And God, will thank you and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I'm just curious, have any of you ever tried to take a group photo before? Now you try to take a group photo. Everybody's already laughing because you're like, man, they're so hard, right? Like, like maybe you get your family together or you got a bunch of friends together or maybe you just ran a Spartan race and you're exhausted. And you're like, we got to get a picture or else it doesn't count, right? And so then you start doing what nobody says out loud, but what you do in your mind is you start judging who could be a good photographer, 
right? Like you all do it. Like people walk by and you're like, no, 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 no. You look like you would take a good picture. Would you mind taking a picture of us and sharing this moment, right? But how many of you have asked the wrong person to take the picture before? So yeah, I've asked them plenty of times, right? Like maybe you ask the unsavvy tech person who, you know, like they get your phone and for some odd reason they didn't understand the part where you said press this big white button right here and they somehow exit out of the camera or they turned your phone off and they're like, I'm so sorry, I've never used one of these. And I'm like, have you never seen a phone? Like, 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 you know, like, I mean, like, there's the unsavvy tech, per, tech person, right? Or maybe, uh, have, you ever, <laughs> have you ever had, like, someone who's kind of got, like, shaky hands while they're taking the picture? Like, like, they're, like, nervous for some reason, you know? Like, they're, like, trying to take the picture, and you see them, like, what? What's wrong? Like, like uh, just take the picture. And you get it, and it's, like, all blurry, and things are moving, and you're like, God, that was the, God, that was the wrong person to ask. How many of you have ever had this happen to you, where you ask someone to take the picture, and they're like, oh, great, y'all, you're loving it, this is awesome, great job, da-da-da-da-da, and then you get the phone back, and they, like, walk really fast away, and you pick up the phone, and you realize the reason they're walking so fast is they didn't take a single picture of you, they took a lot of pictures of them. Has that ever happened to anybody? I, I don't know why, that must be a millennial thing. So many of people have taken pictures on my phone, and I'm like, I have no idea who you think you are doing this on my phone. I mean, like, there's things like that that happen all the time. Or how about this? This is probably my, my least favorite, is when people, when you ask them, can you take a picture of us, literally think you mean one picture, right? Like, like I need some options, all right? Like, I have no idea what the wind is like, if my eyes are going to be fully open, like, if I like where my hands are in the building. Like, give me some options. And they take one photo, like, that is so aggravated. I'm like, literally, like, yes, I said take one picture, but give me some options, because what I like is I like, I like being able to say, hey, let me look at the picture. Do you like it? Is this a good enough picture? And I like being able to say yes or no. I like being able to say, you know what? I would like you to take another picture because this just isn't cutting it for me. But you see, when I was younger, I grew up in the Stone Ages. Um, as we didn't actually have instantaneous photos. We had something like this. This is what I grew up with as a camera. And literally, I showed this to somebody this morning. They said, God, where did you get that? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I asked my wife if she knew where there was one at, and three hours later, she came back with one of these. So I don't know where she found it, but I mean, they are hard to find, right? But I remember growing up, and when I would go do things, I wanted to take a picture and capture the moment. And so this is a pretty simple one. I can, you know, push it on, and um, I can put a flash, and then I can look, and if you're here in the middle, you're going to be in my picture, and then I got to spin it, right? But I don't see the photo. Like, I don't know if you were smiling, I don't know if you paid I don't know if Ben was looking at the camera, if he was looking someplace else. I don't know if Jim had his arm the right direction or the right. I have no idea. But I don't get to see it because I got to take another photo, right? And I don't, I don't know. I've got some family right here. I don't know if they liked the picture. I can't show them and say, hey, is this good enough? Like, I, I don't know. And I can come over here and I can say, hey, let, me get, let me get a picture of you guys, right? And I can be like, oh, Mark, your face was Kind of goofy? Is it goofy enough, right? Like, you know, like, like I have no idea because when we grew up in a world, it wasn't so instantaneous. Like, what we had to do is, is, believe it or not, and there's a few teenagers in the room, like, believe it or not, like, I would take pictures of my fun, favorite memories, and then once the film was all the way done, I still have 21 photos I have to take before I can actually get any of these, I would go to a place like Walmart, right, and I would drop this off, and then they would develop the film for me. And then several days later, I would come back and look through the pictures, and I would notice, you know, that Jim wasn't looking the right direction, or that Ben had his eyes down, or that my family didn't like this picture, or that Mark's face was just a little too crazy. Like, I didn't know until the moment was past. 
but I love living in a world where I can know immediately. Because we live in an instantaneous world. We live in a world where patience is something that we actually despise. Patience isn't a value. Patience is actually countercultural to the way that we like to live. And so I want to do just a quick test. And if you are afraid to raise your hand, if any of these apply to you, that's fine. But um, this is a place where we can be safe and be honest. And I'm just going to ask a couple of questions. Just test how patient the people in this room are. So if any of these apply to you, you can just raise your hand. And if you're embarrassed, don't raise your hand, but we will know, right? Uh, just a couple of things. If any of these apply to you, you can go and raise your hand. Um, all of these apply to me. But if any of these apply to you, all right, are you the type of person that never lets their microwave finish counting down? Like, I got to get there right before it hits zero. Five seconds, that's good enough. Like, it was, you just put it in for 30 seconds. 25 is fine, all right? How about this? Have you received more than one speeding ticket? If you, you've never gotten a speeding ticket, oh my gosh, like, you are God's chosen. I, I know for sure. There's no doubt there, right? You would rather throw a wrinkled shirt in the dryer for 20 minutes than spend the five minutes it takes to iron it. How many of you don't know what an iron is? Some teenagers, an iron, what is that? All right, like, okay, so... How many of you would choose a restaurant, not based on the quality of the food, but based on the speed at which you're going to receive it? That's pretty much me every day. Eh, that's an extra, no, they're a little slow there. I'm not going, all right. Um, <laughs> how many of you habitually burn your mouth because you can't wait for your food or your coffee to cool? Right, like, it's hot, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Ah, you know, it's such a mistake. How many of you think that DVR is God's gift to the 21st century? No more commercials. This is amazing. I can just fly through this whenever I want. How many of you will avoid traffic by driving another 20 miles out of the way as long as you're moving? All right, all right. Plenty of people. That is me. All right, just find me another route. I don't care how long it takes. I don't want to wait. All right. Two more here. How many of you have shoes that are laced just enough that you can slide them on and off without taking the extra five seconds to actually tie it? Yeah? All right. Yeah, that's all of my shoes. I, I, I can't do it. All right. And the last one is, how many of you have ever gone to an event, an amusement park? You paid to get there. You paid to get in the door. But because you didn't want to wait in the line, you paid just a little bit more to get that fast pass. Right? Anybody? A couple of you? All right. A few of you? Like, I think the fast pass, like, if you're going to do it, you got to do the fast pass. Like, I'm not going to wait in line an hour when I can just walk past all the schmucks that are waiting in line and just walk to the front of the line. Like, I do not like waiting. I actually asked my mom this week, I sent a text and I said, Mom, sermon prep, no context. If you were to say growing up, if I was patient or impatient, what would you do? And my mom's a slow texter usually. Like usually a couple hours later, maybe a couple days later, she texts back. She's not super tech savvy. And within about literally 30 seconds, I got a text in all caps and all exclamations, impatient. You waited for no one. You were the hardest child. I'm like, hey, calm down, all right? Like I was just asking a question. I didn't need all the extra context here. But we live in a world where everything is so quick, right? Like we invented fast food, and because fast food wasn't fast enough, we invented a drive-thru. And when one drive-thru wasn't fast enough, we invented two drive-thrus, right? Like we love things to be so quick. We want them right now. And we start talking about patience. The idea is I don't like patience because it's just countercultural to who I am and the world that I live in. But there's another part about patience that is really difficult for me and a reason that I don't enjoy it is the idea of patience also implies that I'm in a situation that I don't really want to be in. The, the, the idea of patience means that I may, be, I may be in a situation that I don't like, 
that makes me uncomfortable, that maybe causes me some pain, that causes me some discomfort. And so the idea of patience is something that I don't want. And so you can look at the, at the definition of patience. I put it there in your sermon notes. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. And we can look at this and we can say, you know what, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, like that is not me. Like if I'm going from A to B and I put the GPS, it is a race for me to beat the GPS. If it says I'll be there at 1059, I have to be there at 1054. Any type of delay ruins my whole purpose there. Trouble. Uh, I literally told my wife just a few days ago, I ordered something from Amazon. It was supposed to be here in two days. And I got an email saying it was going to be delayed a day. And I told my wife that that was too much trouble. Just cancel it. Right? Like, I, I don't like waiting. Right? Suffering. No, I asked my wife, what's a moment that I've suffered in recently? And she said, remember on July 4th when we went to the fireworks in Blue Ash and you suffered in the car trying to get out of the parking lot and you were so angry and you almost got in a fight with that man? And I'm like, hey, easy. It, wasn't, it was a verbal confrontation, all right? It's not a fight, right? But a lot of these small, normal things that, yes, we need to grow patience in, but I think there are a lot of larger things in our life that we need patience in. I think there are some serious things that although we wish we could just fast forward and although we wish that everything in our life, if this particular area was at warp speed the way that everything else is, that life would be so much better. But there are certain things in our life that no matter how hard you try, no matter how many things you do, no matter how many things you say, you just cannot speed up. It's a fact of life. And there are people in this room, I am one of them, who are currently in situations where they are in positions where they may be in a thing where they don't like it. I'm thinking about people in the room right now. Maybe you're one of those ones who said, man, I'm going to start a business. And you said you were going to do this and it was going to be incredible and you were going to change the world and you were going to help so many people out. And you had all these ambitions and all these plans, but it didn't happen the first month. It didn't happen the first year. It didn't happen the first five years. And now it just seems like a fairy tale that's so far away. Or the people that, you know, maybe you've been praying for a spouse and you're like, why am I the only one who's still single? Why I'm doing all the right things? I'm on all the right websites. I'm trying to do all the things I'm supposed to be doing. But yet for some reason, while everybody else is getting married, I am stuck in a season that I don't want to be in. Right? Or maybe there are people who you are currently, you or someone close to you is struggling with sickness. And you're like, I, I don't want to be in this. They don't deserve to be sick. This makes no sense. God, you said you're a healer. If you're a healer, why am I still waiting on the healing? It's a situation you don't want to be in. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're like me and you've been praying for lost loved ones to be saved, lost loved ones to come to the knowledge of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And you've been praying for a month and you've been praying for a year and you've been praying for five years and you've been praying for 10 years and they actually today seem further away than whenever you actually began to pray. Like, what do you do when you're in that season when you're in a position that is so uncomfortable that you don't like, that you don't want to wait, that you don't want to be a part of, what do you do when you're in that season? Well, I think if God were in the room that he would want to speak to us this morning. I actually do believe that he is in the room this morning. And I believe that he gave us a word and a Bible that speaks to us in real and powerful ways. So I believe that if God were in the room this morning, he was speaking to you and if he were speaking to me, that he would speak the same way that he spoke through James in James chapter 5. And James, what he's doing is he's writing to people who understand trials and suffering. 
He's writing to people. This is the early days of the church. This is within the 10, 20 year range after Jesus has just died and Christianity is beginning to bloom and it's moving left and right. He's writing to Christian Jews. So not only are they Christian Jews living in a Roman empire that is against the very thought of them having some type of savior outside of Caesar, but they're also Jews who now their friends and their relatives are beginning to turn their backs on them. You can read in the Bible, and we know just a few years before this, there's this guy named Stephen. He's just a waiter at a restaurant, but he goes out and he really loves Jesus, and he's telling people about how awesome he is and how he died for their sins. And these people get so mad that they literally stone him to death. We can read, and there are people like Saul who were commissioned to go out and find these Christians and arrest them and bring them back, and they've got two choices. You can either deny it or you can face the consequences. This is the world that they're living in. They're living in a world where what they're praying for, what they're asking for, isn't to have some type of joy in life. It isn't to find some new thing. Literally what they're asking for is, God, would you just keep me and my family safe? Would you just bring peace? How long are we going to have to wait? So James looks at these people and he pins the words in James chapter 5, verse 7. He says, be patient. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm living in a world like that, or maybe you're in here and you're in a situation where you feel some type of discomfort, some type of pain you're tired of waiting on, if God were here, what would he say? He would say, be patient. But I don't, I don't want to be patient. Patience, like how long am I going to have to be patient? Be, be patient. What does that mean to be patient? But I love that he doesn't just end it right there. He goes on and says, then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. You see, what James is telling us and what God is telling us through James is be patient, but you don't have to be patient forever. There's actually an expiration to your waiting. You were waiting until, you weren't waiting forever, you were waiting until the Lord's coming. So if you're taking notes and you're writing things down, your first point is pretty simple. God promises an expiration to your waiting. Whether in this life or the next, make no mistake about it. Scripture is clear. Jesus is coming. He is going to come back. You are waiting. It may seem like a long time. It may seem like it's been too long, but there is make no mistake about it. He is going to come. He is going to end your waiting period. But man, it'd be so much easier if he just told me when, right? Like, man, if I've been single for a long time, but he, I knew I was going to get married at 30, it would make today a lot easier, right? That's ah, fine. i got a few more years. I'll, I'll, I'm going to get married at 30, but that's good. I already know the plan, right? If you knew you were going to get healed within a few months, wouldn't it make the doctor's visits a lot easier today? Right? Like, I know this is bad news, but it's good. I know what's going to happen, Right? Or if you knew that that lost loved one was going to come to the knowledge and the love of Jesus Christ in two years, would it make today a whole lot easier? You see, but God doesn't reveal today. God reveals the beginning, which is your past, and he reveals the ending, which is he is coming and he's going to be victorious. But the part that we struggle with is the middle, which is today. And he says, today, can you be patient? And, and, and I love movies. And there's a movie that's coming out that I'm really excited about because it's actually my favorite movie of all time growing up, and it's called The Lion King. Has anybody ever seen or heard The Lion King? I would sing it, and you would know, but I won't bless you with that this morning. All right? I love The Lion King. It's a great movie. 
There's, this, uh, there's Simba, and there's Mufasa, and there's all these great characters. But in the middle of the movie, there's this scene where Mufasa, who is Simba's dad, is caught in this crazy situation. He has to save his son from a stampede. And so Mufasa jumps in, the music is playing, your heart is racing, and he jumps in and he goes and he finds his son, and he somehow finds his son in the stampede, and he throws his son out. Simba is saved, but Mufasa falls back in. He's trampled on by the stampede, and he dies. And then as a young child, literally with tears in my eyes, I'm watching as Simba walks up to his limp, his, his lifeless father, and he's like, Dad, get up. Dad, wake up. And these hyenas come in, and they say, it's your fault. It's your fault. And they chase him out of town. He leaves Pride Rock, and he's, he believes that it's his fault that his father died, and he's never going to come back, and life is over as you know it. How terrible of a movie would it be if it ended right there? No one would watch that movie. That would be the worst movie to ever show your child. Life is terrible, right? Lions die. Like, I mean, that would be so sad. But what makes it a great movie is that Simba comes back. He comes back and he saves everybody in Pride Rock. And it's a great story and you love it and you show your kids and we celebrate. We're like, yay, Lion King, it's awesome. But it's because we know the ending. And what happens is we get so caught up in the middle and we're willing to throw in the towel. We want to give up because it's uncomfortable, because we don't like the situation. We don't understand why God hasn't answered. We don't understand why God hasn't healed. We don't understand why we haven't found a spouse. We don't understand why the business hasn't started yet. And God's saying, wait until the end. Just wait until your story is over. Do not get bogged down here in the middle. Just be patient because I am coming for you. So your first point is very, very simple. There is an expiration to your waiting period. But then James not only says there's an expiration, but he gives us an example. He goes on and says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. So I'm definitely not much of a farmer. I, I don't like the part where your hands get dirty, so I love long gloves. Um, it's hot, and I don't like being outside sweating and dirty at the same time. So I had to do some research on farming to understand what James was trying to say here. Because I read this, and I think, so the farmer just does nothing? Like, the farmer just plants the seed because he can't grow the seed, and he can't make the rain come. So the farmer just sits there and does nothing while this happens? Like, that, that is a gig that I'd like to sign up for. I mean, I got to work twice a year, throw some seeds in, and then wait for the rains to come, and then reap the harvest later on. That's awesome. But James is speaking to an agrarian society that understands that farmers have to do a whole lot more than just nothing. Yes, there are things they have to patiently wait for. They cannot make the seed grow. And yes, they cannot make the rain come. But there's a whole lot of other things that farmers got to do. Farmers have to work the ground, right? Farmers have to work to keep away pests and animals, Right? They've got to keep the environment as best as possible for the seed to grow. Because farmers know something. They know that how they wait highly influences what they receive. And that's your next point there. How we wait highly influences what we receive. You see, the farmer knows that he cannot just do nothing. I mean, he, he may reap a small harvest. He may get a little bit from doing nothing. But to get the full capacity, the full maximum of what he could receive, he knows that how he waits influences what he receives. And so there's two types of waiting. 
Some people think that in terms of waiting on God, you're hearing this message and you're hearing about patience, and you're saying, I'm supposed to do nothing. Or I'm supposed to sit there, let God be God, and do absolutely nothing. There are things that only God can do. I can't heal you, but God can heal you. I can't bring a man and a woman together in, in marriage for the rest of their lives, but, but God can. I can't save anybody. God can. But I do have the ability to choose how I wait. You see, passive waiting, which is when you do nothing, actually puts you in a position or in a posture of doubt. Passive waiting puts you in a posture of doubt because you say he may do it, he may not do it, and since he may not do it, I'm really not going to invest much into the situation. He, he, he may come and heal me, but he also may not heal me, so I'm going to be in a position where I do nothing because I doubt. Or you could put yourself in an active waiting position because active waiting, instead of being in a posture of doubt, puts you in a posture of expectation. Active waiting says, I believe that this, that this waiting period is going to expire. I believe that Jesus is coming. I believe rather in this life or the next that I will receive the things that I've been promised. And so since I believe that, I'm going to actively work the ground. You see, I, I, as, as much as I like to believe that somehow, some way, within my mind and within my teaching ability and within my ability to be a father, I'm going to have my children love and follow and be disciples of Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, only God can change a heart. I can do everything in my power, but I do not have the ability for my children to fall in love with Jesus Christ. Only God has that ability. So you know, so you know what we do? Well, instead of just saying we're going to do nothing, well, we, we work the ground. Right? We, we take our girls to church. We, we pray with them. Um, we try to teach them about Jesus. And I know they're two and a half, and they don't get it. Right? Just the other day, we've been teaching our kids, our girls, that um, Jesus is a creator. So we've been you know, reading about in Genesis, and we've been talking about how Jesus created things. And so they're having a lot of fun going to places and saying, Jesus created Max, our dog, and Jesus created that building. And I'm like, Yes, right? Like, it's fine. You're two and a half, right? And so the other night, we were on a roll. And we had them just moving. We're like, all right, who created the birds? Jesus. Who created the animals? Jesus. We're like, who created mommy and daddy? Jesus. And I said, who created the whole world? And they said, daddy. And I just said, I love you. Like, you were awesome. Like, I mean, this is incredible, right? Like, like, they don't quite get it yet. But that's fine. I know that I can't change their heart, but I can work the ground. I can keep moving. I can keep actively waiting, saying, God, you do what only you can do, but I'm not just going to sit here and do nothing because I believe that my girls will love you. I believe that they will follow you. I believe that they will know the truth and the depth of what it means to be a daughter of the king, and I'm just going to work the ground. And so some of you right now, you're in a season of waiting, and it is hard. It is so difficult. But you have a choice. You can sit there and do nothing, or you can work the ground. Well, why do you keep going to church? Jesus hasn't answered your prayer in years. Why do you keep going to church? I'm just working the ground. I just believe. I believe that he's going to show up like he said he's going to show up. Why are you in a small group? Like, why would you choose to put yourself in a position where you have to talk about the very thing that God hasn't answered for you yet? I just know I got to be around the right people. I know I got to be around people who are going to pray for me. I got to know who, that I'm going to be around people who are going to cry when I cry, who are going to celebrate when I celebrate. I'm just working the ground right now because there are certain things that I can't do, but while I'm waiting, I will actively put myself in a position for God to show up. You see, you may be waiting right now, but do not think that waiting means nothing. Waiting means there are certain things that only God can do, but while I'm waiting, I'm going to do what I can do, and I'm going to put myself in every environment, every room, every possibility for God to answer this prayer. Because I believe that he's coming. In this life or the next, I believe God is going to bring an end 
to your waiting period. So he continues on and he says, look at the farmer. And we, and we read through that and then we skip to verse nine. And he says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. And I love there that he says, don't grumble against each other. And initially, upon reading this, it's pretty simple, right, to theoretically accept. Don't grumble against each other. Got it. Move on to the next part. But actually, the point that he's making here is so much deeper than just the theoretical don't grumble. He's talking about people who are waiting and who are grumbling against people who aren't waiting. What he's doing is he's talking about that there are certain times where you're going to be waiting on something that you desperately want. And while you are desperately wanting it and doing everything you can, somebody else might get it. Somebody that you know, somebody that you love, somebody that you're in close proximity with, they may get the very thing that you want. And when they do, do not grumble against them. Because it's really easy for, my, for me not to grumble when you get what I already have. I have kids. If you get a kid, that's awesome. I want everybody to have kids. I think that's amazing. I don't have an issue with that. I have a spouse. If you get a spouse, I'm like, man, weddings are the best. I love going to weddings. They're so much fun. I got no issue with that. The thing is, we don't grumble when people get what we possess. We grumble when they get what we desperately desire. We don't grumble when they get what we already possess. We grumble when they get what we desperately desire. Because here's, here, here's what it looks like. You and your spouse decided you were going to have a baby. I'm like, we're going to do this, and we're going to have a lot of fun going after it because it's fun having a baby, right? And so, like, like we are so excited. We've looked at uh, uh, guy names. We've looked at girls' names. We already know what we're going to do with the nursery. We've already got all these plans. And then a month goes, and then two months go, and then eight months go, and then a year goes. And all of a sudden, you're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. But it's really hard whenever you're in that waiting period because all of a sudden, everybody else is getting pregnant. Right? Like you're struggling, you're trying so hard, you're getting on social media, and you're like, they just looked at each other and got pregnant. How is that possible? Right? It seems like everybody and their mom is getting pregnant, and they're having babies, and they're talking about how the morning sickness, and they're talking about how tired they are, and they're talking about how the babies kept them up all night, and they're tired, and they're complaining. And what happened? You say, man, I'd love to be tired. I'd love to experience morning sickness. I'd love to feel what you're feeling right now. And so what happens is you begin to grumble. Man, if, if, if I just had what they had, man, they don't understand how good they got it. Man, I desperately want that. That is just not fair. How dare they get that and complain about it? Or, or, or maybe you're there and you're like, man, I have been single for too long. Everybody I know is married. I'm on every website that is free, and I even paid for two more, Right? I have put myself out there. I have been on more dates than I want to count. I am doing all the right things. And yet this person over here, who is the worst, got engaged. You're like, man, they didn't do nothing. They're not on a website. They walked into a mall and some guy thought she was cute and gave him her number. And three months later, they're married. That's not fair. Right? And so what happens is we begin to grumble and say, man, that's just, I'm, they don't deserve that. How come they found love? How come they're married? This is ridiculous. Or even healing, right? Like you've been praying for this loved one to be healed. Maybe it's a, a, a close relative like a mom or dad or a distant cousin or a close friend that's like a relative. And you've been praying like they're good people. And you've been doing all the right things. And you've been showing up all the right times. But yet somehow this person over here who doesn't even believe what we believe as Christians has been miraculously healed. And you're saying, what? Like, where is God in that? 
How is that possibly fair? They don't deserve this. This is what I desperately want. This is what I desperately need in my life. And James says that is going to happen. And when it happens, you have to choose not to grumble against those people. Because it's not just about, the, it's not, just about not being mean towards them, but it's about you taking your eyes off of the very thing that's in front of you. He's saying, don't grumble about what they have. Trust God with what he's going to do. Don't grumble about what you wish you could have and why it's not fair that they have it. He says, look right in front of you and trust God and keep working the ground. Because every time I choose to grumble against somebody, you know what it looks like? It looks like me over here doing nothing, talking to Jim about how unfair it is that they get what I want. And every time I choose to do that, I take myself away from doing this. I take myself away from moving. Well, you know what? Like, I, it's not fair that they've got this. It's not fair that they've got that. I don't want to be in a group. I'm just so frustrated. I don't want to serve anymore. I need a season off. Like, I don't, I don't want to do any of this. Like, life is just too hard. I'm tired of waiting. And you can choose to do that, but that is passively waiting when God says we are to actively wait. So then if he's talking about being patient, And James is speaking about us having to go through waiting periods. I I think the million-dollar question is, why do we have to go through these periods to begin with? I mean, God, wouldn't it just be nice if, like, everything I needed and maybe a few things that I wanted, God just did it right there? God, wouldn't wouldn't that be awesome? Like, man, it'd be really cool to, like, rub the bottle and the genie come out, and as soon as I need something, man, he does it. Life would be easy. My house would be a whole lot bigger right now. My kids would be a whole lot more quiet, right? Like, I mean, like, life would be so much more simple if God just did what I wanted, when I wanted, what I needed, when I needed it, right? But it doesn't work that way. He actually wants us to go through waiting periods. So in James chapter 1, this is how James actually starts this letter to these people who are suffering, these Christian Jews in the early years of the church. He writes it, it's in your sermon notes and on the screen in uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He says, hey, hey, whenever you're having to wait, you should be happy about it. You should consider that joy. And I don't know about you, but I don't experience joy when I'm waiting. Like that is not the word that I would choose to describe it. But James says, consider it joy because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance, which eventually is going to bring about maturation, completeness, and not lacking anything. And I got to tell you, when I look out in the world, there are some awesome people that I have tons of respect for, and I would love to be half of the type of people they are. But when he says fully mature, fully complete, not lacking anything, the only person I can ever think of that fits that criteria is Jesus Christ himself. That he was fully mature. He was complete in every way, fully God, but fully man, experienced everything I experienced, but yet he still was able to walk through it without falling to the temptations that I do. He lacked nothing. And this is going to be a hard thing for us to swallow in in an American church and in the 21st century, but God's purpose isn't to make me happy. God's purpose is to make me more like Christ. 
God does not exist to make Joseph happy and give me what I want when I want it. He exists, or he doesn't just exist, but his purpose in my life is to make me more like Christ, which means that I am complete, I am mature, and I lack nothing. So if I'm in a waiting period, it's not that I'm in a waiting period for nothing. I'm not being punished. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm in a waiting period because God is trying to work something in me. God is trying to mature me and complete me to where I lack nothing. And the only way for me to grow in that area is for me to wait. See, I heard this, this pastor speak a while back about this story. And I, I don't know, I'd never heard this. I wasn't um, in school. There were certain things that just stuck. And there were other things that I just didn't care about. Um, we may have learned this. I don't know, but I don't remember it. But he told this story about how a pearl is made. I never heard this before. He said, so there's an oyster in the water, minding its own business. It's doing what oysters do, whatever that is. It's just enjoying life. But eventually, some type of irritant gets in the oyster. Could be a parasite, could be a a grain of sand, it could be a myriad of things. But this irritant gets in the oyster, and the oyster knows that this is uncomfortable, this isn't supposed to be there, this is not the way things were. And so what it does, it tries everything in its power to get the irritant out of the oyster, right? It tries to get it out, it it exacerbates all of its energy, it does all of these things to get it out because it just wants things to go back like they were before. But eventually it can sense that this irritant is not going away. Tried as hard as I could to get this little grain of sand out, but it's still here. I tried as hard as I could to get this parasite out, but it's still here. And so what the oyster does, it begins to release this fluid to coat the irritant so that it won't bother it so much. And over weeks and months and years, this coat will continue to surround the irritant, continue to surround surround this grain of sand, continue to surround this parasite. And after a number of years, what's left isn't the irritant. It's actually left with this beautiful, perfect pearl. And this pearl, we find so much value in. We find so much, people love to wear pearls. We see pearls like, man, that is awesome. That is beautiful. We love the final result of it, but we never take time to think about how that pearl actually started with a small grain of sand or a small situation of discomfort that over years from discomfort actually turned into something of great value. See, I believe that what God is trying to do within us as we're going through a waiting period is you may have an irritant in your life. You may have something that is seriously bothering you, that is uncomfortable, that is taking away your joy, that's taking away your energy. But if you will just be patient and trust that he's coming, what he's trying to do is create a pearl in your life that other people will see and grow and find value in. Because there are some people in this room who have been following the Lord for a long time. Talk to them. Ask them, ask Marvin Peggy how many waiting periods they've been in. Ask them how many things they've had to go through that it was not joyful, it was not what they wanted, it was not something that they loved in life, but once the expiration came, because it will come at some point or another, whether in this life or the next, they had a perfect pearl that people are able to learn from, that people are able to grow from, that people win. And I look and I say, man, I want that. That's great. Are you willing to go through a waiting period? Are you willing to be patient and trust that he's coming? My last point is very simple. As it says, always let what you know trump what you feel. Always let what you know trump what you feel. So back in Galatians chapter 5, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we read that and we say, sign me up. And I want to have more love. I want to have more goodness. I want to experience more joy. I want to experience more peace. 
But you see, in order for you to grow in patience, you have to surrender yourself to God, to the Spirit, to be in a situation that you may or may not like. Like, here's the hard reality. Everybody says, God, I'm open. God, I surrender to you. God, do whatever you want in my life. I want more love. I want more joy. I want more peace. I want more kindness. But to fully get the fruit of the Spirit, because it is one fruit, remember, to get the full capacity of that, you have to surrender to be in a situation that says, God, make me wait so that I develop more patience. Put me in situations that I don't want to be in, that I have to wait through to trust you. Because that we know He's going to come back. And we know that there's going to be an expiration. And we know that this is going to develop maturation and completeness so that we're not lacking anything. So whenever you begin to feel like this is pointless, let what you know trump that. Whenever you feel like this is going to last forever, let what you trump overcome that. Let what you know trump that. Whenever you feel like God has forgotten you or maybe even forsaken you, Let what you know, which is that he's coming and that he's putting you in this waiting period to mature you, trump how you feel. See, the the point this morning is very, very simple. When you fully surrender to the spirit at work in your life, you say, there's going to be some waiting periods where I'm not going to like it and I'm going to have a whole lot of feelings that don't describe the fruit of the spirit. But I will let what I know that my God is bigger than any circumstance, that he is coming back, that he is here, that he will see me through, and that this is for my good, this is for my maturation, this is for my completeness. And I will let what I know in this season trump what I feel. So this morning as we're getting prepared to close, you got your connect card off to the side. And we're going to ask you if you want to take a few steps this morning. You've got a connect card off there. It's got that A, B, C, D, and E. Pastor Melissa talked about it earlier, and I want everybody to bring their attention to that because we don't want you just to hear a message. We want you to take some steps this morning. And so bold step A says, today I'm making Jesus my Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never accepted. Maybe the reason that you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior is because you're in a situation you don't want to be in. I'm going to tell you something. God sees you in that situation. He sees what you're going through. And I'm going to tell you something you may not know. He actually cares more about it than you think. And he wants to be with you through the situation. And it's so simple. He's already there. It's not like you're doing a magic trick. It's just saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. And I want you not just to be present around. I want you to be present within me. And if you check both step A, we would love to talk with you. We would love to follow through with you on this. Because we believe there's nothing, there's not a greater decision you'll make in your life than choosing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Maybe a bold step B, it says, I want to be baptized. We've got two coming up on August 11th or October 13th. And baptisms are absolutely phenomenal. These are so beautiful because people saying publicly, I want to declare that Jesus is my Lord. And even though I'm in a waiting period, even though things aren't perfect, I know that he's coming back. And I believe that this, ex- that this is going to end one day. And I'm just going to trust him now with my life. You can get baptized. And we would love to celebrate with you. A bold step C, says, pray for me to be patient in my current situation. Because I prayed this week, there were so many things that I I know people write their prayer requests on our cards, connect cards, and we pray every single week. I know that there are some people that are in a waiting period right now. And it's hard. And it is so hard. And I do not by any means mean to downplay that this morning. It is so hard what you're going through. And although I can't change anything in your life, I know someone who can. And I would love to pray with you 
in this situation. And if you want to write what it is on the back, this is the situation I'm going through. This is the waiting period. We're not going to call you. We're not going to share this information. We're just going to pray for you and say, God, be with them right now because they need patience. This is so hard. Be with them. God, do what only you can do in this situation. Old Step D says, grow one, becoming a member on August 4th, lunch and childcare provided. If you want to take a next step in your walk, uh, Pastor Melissa does a phenomenal job with these grow classes that take you through the process of becoming a disciple. And if you say, man, maybe I've been a, a Christian for a long time, or maybe I'm kind of new to this, this is a great step that you will learn practical tools to grow in your life with Christ. Or Bold Step E says, send me more information so I can sign up for the fall semester of freedom. This is what Pastor Melissa talked about earlier. A phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And we've had so many, over 100 people have gone through it and it's changed their life. And I'm just gonna say this, maybe you're in a waiting period right now and you feel shackled, you feel held back. I would love to challenge you to sign up to go to freedom. I would love for you to be in a room full of people who are also in some waiting periods, who are also struggling with some things, to come together and say, but we trust God that ultimately this will end and we will experience freedom. If you check that, we'll follow up with you and get you more information. You can put your Connect card to the side. Our ushers are getting prepared. We're going to take up our offering. And every single week we do this, we take up an offering, and we, you know, we love for people to give, but it's not obligatory. But whenever you give to this place, what you're doing is you're trusting God and you're believing in the work that's being done here. I talked about several of our pastors and the work that's being done, our kids' ministry over there, our student ministry, our adult ministries. Or maybe, maybe that's going to be part of your active waiting this week. And say, God, you haven't answered my prayer, but I'm still going to trust you and I'm going to give to your work. I'm going to trust you right now and just give to you and believe that you're going to do what only you can do. Because I got to tell you, I know I'm a little partial because I work here, but it's a great place. You won't find a church that loves your family more. You won't find a pastor that cares more for your family. You will not find a place that works harder for God to move in your family's life than Four Corners. And every time you choose to give, that's the work that you're giving towards. You're saying, you know what? I want families in Westchester, in, in, in Butler County, in Warren County, in Hamilton County. I want families to experience life in Christ. So I'm gonna give and say, God, do what only you can do with this. Will you pray with me over our offering? God, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for being a good God. God, I thank you that there's an expiration to our waiting. God, right now I know there are some people who are waiting. There are some people who are in situations that we would describe as suffering, as painful, as uncomfortable. And God, I just pray right now that they would be encouraged this morning. I pray that they would know that you're coming. God, I pray for young men and young women right now who've been patiently waiting time, day after day, month after month. God, right now, I just pray that they would, that you would just let them know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're coming, that you hear their prayers, that even if we don't see it, you're still at work, that you are moving. God, I pray for couples. I pray for marriages. I pray for families, God, that have been waiting for, two, for longer and longer and longer, that God, we trust you. We know that you're coming. And God, many times when our eyes are on other things, God, I pray that we would focus on the fact that your eyes are on us. God, this morning, you're trying to mature us. You're trying to bring us to completeness. God, you want me to grow. And so this morning, as we go into a time of worship, God, I pray that our hearts are surrendered to you to say, God, mature me, complete me. I don't want to lack in anything. I trust you. I surrender to you. God, be with our offering. God, everybody who chooses to surrender this to you, God, I pray that you would just bless it. God, I pray that families would be changed forever. I pray that legacies would be altered because of your work through this place. God, we trust you that marriages are gonna be restored, that kids are gonna come to a knowledge of you. God, I believe that my kids will learn and love and grow closer with you because of the ministry of this church. 
So God, bless every dollar that's given and every person that chooses to give. And God, even bless those who choose not to and let them know that you're here and that you love them. God, we thank you and we give you praise in your name. Amen.